Well, hey, everybody, it's me, Kevin Stevenson, and you're on I Don't Care with, yeah, me. Uh, it's so, uh, uh, you know how to find us. We're always on Market Scale Radio, Spotify, iTunes. And so today, really excited about our guest. Really, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting twist on our usual uh, on our usual guest. Today, I have Scott Carson, who is the founder and CEO of Powered by MRP. And Scott was also the lead inventor for eBay Healthcare Marketplace. So Scott, welcome to I Don't Care. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be on. Great to uh, uh, connect with some of your listeners and followers. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, so Scott, tell us a little bit about your journey. I'm interested in knowing more about eBay Healthcare Marketing or Marketplace. And then what drove you to Powered by MRP? So, you know, years ago, and this really ages me, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, eBay, was kind of uh, playing around in just about every market, um, you know, where they started and kind of pet dispensers and Beanie Babies kind of evolved into, uh, you know, let's see if we can sell tractors and connect people with, uh, uh, you know, Caterpillar equipment. And uh, they jumped into automotives and uh, uh, healthcare and real estate and uh, just about every sector. Um, we know eBay for, you know, kind of creating the sneaker market and so many things where they uh, took a side by side marketplace and um, really created some unique experiences. And eBay Motors is such a great example of um, what we all experience today. eBay Motors in the kind of the beginning was a picture of a car and some HTML code. Pe people may not remember this, but uh, if you posted a car on eBay, you actually had to code the description in yourself. Um, you couldn't just like type it in. And uh, um, at the time, it wasn't that big of a deal because, you know, you, you were looking for a new way maybe to promote your car if you're reselling it. And, um, you know, your other option was Auto Trader in, you know, the 7-Eleven stores uh, or the newspaper. And this created a, a, a place where you could show it some, you know, someplace else. And it didn't get a lot of traction. And, um, the reason is, is because they didn't have what's called an enabler. They didn't have things that would create trust and then that would lead to velocity. And so eBay figured this out pretty quickly and said, you know, let's put financing in there. So if people want to borrow money, they let's, yeah. put finance. let's put Carfax, let's put transportation, let's put inspection, let's put, um, you, you know, video chat, let's do a demonstration. How about we put the phone number up and, Few people may know this, but between that moment and today, eBay has sold five million cars. And I had no idea. That's incredible. And huh. is uh, really created the online automotive experience that we all take advantage of today. There wouldn't be any of this online automotive community of parts, services, and cars if it wasn't for eBay um, Motors. And this leads kind of your question about what happened in healthcare. You know, they. They would jump into markets like real estate and they really didn't do very well. They didn't understand it and uh, didn't figure it out. Healthcare, um, they asked me to come in and help them kind of create the categorization and the structure. And uh, I worked in San Jose with the eBay team there for several years. And we mimicked a lot of it around eBay Motors because we knew that there was a lot of pent up excess assets in hospitals and clinics. Uh, and right. if we could... Um, connect them with users and then put those same um, eBay motors enablers. If we could find ways to create trust, that that would 
you know, create velocity. And we started to build that. But interestingly, eBay got very nervous about the regulatory environment. So they started to retract, kind of redact those enablers. And so today, what's interesting is if you and I today were trying to buy and sell something with one another on eBay, and I said, you know what, why don't you give me your phone number and I call you, we would get kicked off eBay. And they, they consider that um, a risk to them because they no longer have the protection of the transaction happening and with the disclosures that exist on the platform that I actually wrote. And so that market has stalled at about 600 million annually, mostly pre-owned assets. And mm -hmm. over the years, about uh, over the last 10 years, we have seen all kinds of people and investors and in private equity and growth equity trying to create a clinician to clinician or hospital hospital um, or marketplace or a manufacturer or service provider to clinician kind of marketplace. And nobody has been successful. So about seven years ago, six, seven years ago, uh, we looked at this and said, OK, no one's done it yet. And what, what could we do to kind of, you know, figure this out? What could we, we, we focus on? And so we started looking at things and said, should it be IV pumps, hospital beds, uh, CAT scans, MRIs, um, IV pumps? And we landed on aesthetics for a number of reasons. One, aesthetics is growing 10 to 15% year over year. It's cash raised right. and it's a highly emotional marketplace. Meaning, you know, there, when you think about IV pumps, there's not a lot of emotion in an IV pump. That's very so true. We, we decided to, uh, to focus on aesthetics, and then we started to create the enablers that would um, create that kind of traction. And uh, over the last four or five years, we've kind of uh, cracked the code on how that works. Um, in the next couple of months, we'll start letting sellers, individual clinicians, start to sell their assets. We have a magical partnership with McKesson right now where we've got about 60,000 McKesson SKUs. We'll be putting up another 100,000 plus in the next couple of months um, where we're going to now aggregate clinicians to be able to buy and bull and power collectively uh, to start getting some of the same discounts we see in the hospital GPO systems. And uh, we're adding manufacturers every day. And uh, we're ultimately we're trying to create an ecosystem or a community where we really become the platform where all healthcare services and products are, are bought and sold. And uh, probably the most important thing just to um, uh, kind of clarify is there's a lot of what's defined, and this is really Christensen's concept out of Harvard, um, of these idea of non-producers and uh, non-consumers. These are the people that sit outside a marketplace. And the best example of that is Airbnb. And you know, before Airbnb, there was a couch or a room. And there was somebody that wanted that couch or a room. And, uh, and well, we didn't know what the, those non-producers and non-consumers existed, but uh, uh, Airbnb put them together. And we think that's gonna happen here. We think there's a lot of hospitals that would love to sell assets to other hospitals. And we think there's clinicians that would sell to hospitals and vice versa and access to manufacturers and, and customers that really are all sitting out there, but just don't have that trust of a place where they can go and make sure they're getting getting products and services at the right price with transparency. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great that you're that you brought this up, Scott, because I mean, we're we're constantly replacing equipment, and you know, oftentimes that there's no we're not going to get any kind of uh, rebate on that whenever we try to trade that in. Uh, you know, being a mission based uh, healthcare system. 
oftentimes, you know, we've we've had the opportunity to maybe donate those to, say, a third world country, uh, you know, something that's that just can't be reused here in the States. But it's better than anything somebody has, say, down in South America. And so but but you're exactly right. You know, we I, I get this question all the time from friends not in healthcare. What do you do? How do you how do you dispose of your uh, of your tangible assets? And so, you know, this is incredibly interesting. So so the aesthetic space, you know, I totally I totally agree with you. Very, uh, very uh, emotional space, you know, cash pay. Uh, so talk a little bit about, you know, why why aesthetics? And then let's talk on the broader scale, you know, other benefits of the industry and, and the, the really the importance of the negotiation aspect of it. You bet. So outside, you know, we think of aesthetics um, and we, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, we think of kind of beauty and uh, um, uh, and sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's perceived as being superficial. We've seen a lot of uh, uh, TV shows kind of minim minimize um, aesthetics, but we often fail to realize that or recognize that aesthetics touches incredible um, lives in incredible ways. Um, we sell a lot of devices to pediatric hospitals for reconstruction, post-surgical, uh, from cancer patients, um, a lot of uh, post-surgical scarring. I mean, the list of, of where aesthetic touches and changing lives is significant. And, uh, and then if you get into the beauty side, you know, we don't think about um, when we're watching these shows or seeing the influencers, we don't think about the devastating acne that someone may have as a, as a young adult or a young child or a young kid, teenager, and how that affects them later on in life and how aesthetics can touch them um, later on in life where we can use CO2 or erbium to, uh, to correct that, that, that damage and what kind of impact that'll have. So to us, you know, there's, it's not just the beauty side. It's, there's a really genuine, good, you know, good, good component of it. But what we've learned is, is that aesthetics is a great pollinator. We found ourselves more and more every year, and especially this last year, um, where these dermatologists and plastics and core physicians in our space, you know, have um, work within hospital systems and work um, within larger groups. And uh, I, we have a great uh, 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 client of ours that's in California, and she's a dermatologist at Apple. And uh, so we're seeing this pollination of our concept of um, of uh, uh, really kind of migrating outside of aesthetics, and that was always the mission. The, the The idea about negotiation is: let me throw a concept out, which is going to be um, a bit radical to hear, but I think when people think about it, um, this is going to happen in the next few years, and because of the pandemic that we found ourselves in, it's going to accelerate quickly. And that is that I think you're going to see a massive reduction of field-based sales representatives over the next few years for a couple of reasons. We're seeing the intersection of young clinicians that grew up in technology and social interaction and social community where they connect with each other. We're seeing that happen where they're the ones coming into clinics now. And so there's no longer this kind of barrier to technology and information. The second thing is, is sales costs can basically add as much as 25% to the sale of products and services, trade shows, marketing, um, and other costs. And that's a part of healthcare that maybe doesn't need to be there if we can use some of the technology that we've used in other aspects of our lives. And if you think about if there was a platform that had 
uh, transparency with pricing, flat rate pricing or the lowest price, legitimate peer-to-peer -peer reviews. Um, you had service uptime, service costs over, over the lifetime of the product, parts replacement costs. Clinicians and um, uh, purchasing directors could make the best possible decision if they had that information available to them and they wouldn't need to rely on the biased sales rep approach. So I think over the next four to five years, you're gonna see a real movement, um, not just with us, where technology is gonna come in and healthcare purchasing. And, and so you're gonna see a shift from right now, everything is looking upstream in equipment and supplies. It looks up to the manufacturers and the stakeholders. And if you think about Amazon, Amazon pivoted to uh, customer centricity and then the manufacturers had to change the way they behaved to serve those customers. Otherwise, they wouldn't succeed in this kind of open marketplace. So hopefully that answers your question about negotiation, that I think that we're going to see a real movement to manufacturers starting to look more at how their customers are perceiving them than the way their stakeholders are. Yeah, and, and I totally agree with you. You know, looking at it from our from our clinic physician's point of view, yeah, as you said, we're seeing the the influx of younger physicians who are savvy with technology, who frankly just don't have the time to to see everybody coming into their offices. So they much rather have you know a quick virtual visit or a, a webinar or something like that. And then you again, as as you alluded to, exacerbated by COVID. You know, you just can't let people into the mm -hmm. clinic like you, like you used to. Whenever I first started out in business development in uh, in the referral based healthcare space, and so you know, I, I think you're dead on. Uh, and so then, you know, with that, you're going to see, frankly, a reduction in operating mm -hmm. costs, and which will be good for the entire marketplace. So, so you know, one of the things that that kind of you know, I think one of my concerns about this. You know, we're kind of opening this up to the free market, which is great because it's going to really uh, impact uh, impact costs, as I said, impact availability. But there's these are still medical devices and there still needs to be some regulation around that. So so talk to us a little bit about, you know, your thoughts on how do you keep the bad players out of that space and what can you do to advocate for, you know, a more free market system, but with those regulatory, uh, you know, stop. Let me let me <clears throat> discuss one. Just there's so many things that we could um, uh, speak about. Um, uh, but let me just touch on on one uh, one quick thing, which is um, one of the enablers we had to build to make the marketplace function aesthetics is and you'll you'll given you've been in healthcare for as long as you have, you know, this in early markets. Um, such as, let's say, endoscopy or uh, uh, imaging, the manufacturers mm -hmm. um, generally don't like the secondary market because remember they're stakeholder centric. So they're focused on their shareholders and leadership, less about their customers because supporting the secondary market in any marketplace, whether it's automotives or boats or homes, you know, just exists and is there. And can you imagine if Tesla created barriers to resell Teslas? You wouldn't sell any Teslas, but in healthcare, right. that seems to be something in the early markets that's just accepted, and and that's especially the case in aesthetics. Aesthetic manufacturers have very um, unethical, um, predatory, and in my opinion, illegal 
policies restricting the resale of devices without paying them a recertification fee, which is really a made up thing that doesn't exist to really to uh, uh, kind of slow down or restrict the resale of devices. So we knew this going in that that was going to be a barrier because the clinician couldn't sell something if they, you know, if the new buyer couldn't get support or service on it. So we had to create a platform called MetaQuip Tech, which is Uber and Angie's list for techs and trainers. So, for example, we have 250 uh, techs on this platform currently, and we deploy them not only for our own sales, but also for now our customers where they're shedding their service contracts and their relationships with the manufacturers because like Uber, they can get um, a tech faster for lower cost. Most importantly, and this goes to your component about the regulatory and uh, getting, getting rid of the bad actors, is if you think about service technicians, not just in my space, but in your space too, is where are they reviewed? Hospital systems are reviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doctors are reviewed. Um, staff that answers the phone are reviewed. But you know what? Techs aren't reviewed. So we've got a platinum now mm-hmm. where techs are reviewed. And if they show up late, if they don't do a good job, if they don't behave properly, clinicians have the right to um, rate them. Also, there's now complete transparency. Where was their certification done? Where were they trained at? Um, we're now able to see this and provide that information to clinicians so they, again, can make the better choice. So we think that in an open marketplace, these types of, uh, of um, changes, not just from us, but we think in an open marketplace, and this is what happened at eBay, lots of enablers come in from, you know, from other people seeing the opportunity and create that kind of regulatory environment change that you're looking for. Hmm. Very interesting. So, so what's, what's next? I mean, are, are you, are you, uh, are you pleased with the aesthetic space or are you looking to that, to, to that next area? I'm, I'm kind of, well, you know, we're, we're very grateful for the, uh, the aesthetics community. They've embraced us and, uh, uh, you know, they're looking for change as well. And uh, we're very uh-huh. fortunate. Um, you know, we're, we're going to just let it happen, evolve kind of, uh, you know, naturally. We, uh, uh, we have real no, um, uh, real no expectations of entering certain sectors. Really what we want to do is, is when a clinician, you know, checks in in the morning, uh, we hope they get to our platform. And if they're buying uh, aesthetic devices, maybe they start considering buying supplies or pharma. And yeah. if you think about it from a clinical standpoint, you guys have the benefit of aggregation of, um, of buying power and clinicians still pretty much are on their own. And if we can right. bring a hundred clinicians together to aggregate their buying power for pharma, they're going to get a point or two. If we bring a thousand together, they're going to get five points. And if we bring 10,000 together, they're going to get 10 or 20 points. And we're looking for that kind of reduction because we know that that's going to lead to increased access to healthcare for patients. It's going to increase the quality um, of it. And uh, uh, those two things, um, uh, coupled with lowering cost um, to the systems, to the insurers, um, and to the patients is critical. Mm-hmm. Well, you've touched on two very critical areas of access and lower cost, and, and then uh, the third certainly being quality. So. So let's go back to you a little bit, Scott. I mean, with all of your experience with with eBay and now with Powered by MRP, you know, you've been you've been coined as the healthcare marketplace innovator. Talk to my talk to my folks a little bit about you know how 
how did you establish yourself as as a leader in that you know in a, in a very very new industry? You know, I, I probably a lot of trial and error and a lot of uh, um, a lot of failure, a lot of lessons. Um, you know, it's yeah. uh, uh, I have been involved in online uh, transactional platforms for a couple of decades now uh, in healthcare, and um, mm-hmm. uh, re- really is uh, you know it's becoming somewhat uh, a common theme where people talk about their their failures, and uh, there, there's been some some pretty big mistakes along the way, but uh, that's really where the uh, uh, you know the education comes from and where you find um, where where the where the opportunity really is and. One of the things that uh, we identified is, you know, 20 years ago, healthcare wasn't ready for this. Um, 10 years ago, right. it wasn't ready for this. And I'm not even sure five years ago it was ready for this, but it's ready now. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. You know, uh, healthcare is like the Titanic of industries. It takes us forever to, to turn. Uh, so, uh, you know, adopting new new technologies, you know, whether it be telemedicine or or something like uh, your healthcare marketplace, uh, yeah, it's just going to take some time. But but the value that is there for for everybody concerned is just tremendous. And so I commend you for that. And you know, look forward to hearing more about uh, about what you're doing in the space, and, and hopefully seeing you expand into some other areas uh, beyond aesthetics. So. So, Scott, any final words for my uh, for my viewers and listeners? Very much appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and and uh, get to know you a little bit better, and also reach out to your, uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when we started your followers and uh, your viewers. Uh, this is uh, such an incredible place for us to be able to connect with them and and uh, show them that there's real change occurring, uh, not just with us but with lots of others. And uh, um, this kind of this this revolution is going to have a massive impact. Um, you know, on the industry and, and maybe, um, and we'll see in four or five years, could be the single largest reduction of cost um, through technology um, we've ever seen in healthcare. Um, if you think about the aggregation of, uh, of clinicians and I'll, I'll, I'll just get you guys to kind of think about something. We often think about delivery of care um, and, and the costs associated with delivery of care in the hospital systems. We, that's where we kind of talk about the aggregation of those dollars. But it, it occurred to me several years ago, I go to clinicians a lot more frequently, thankfully, than I go to hospitals. And the largest delivery part of care is with clinicians in their offices. Mm-hmm. And yet they still pay retail or over-retail. This concept of over-retail is when you have no competition, you pay over-retail. It's interesting phenomenon where the more you trust a vendor in the clinician space, the more you pay, where in every other aspect of our lives, the more more you trust, you pay less. But here, Mm -hmm. because there's no transparency, no peer-to-peer reviews, no technology, physicians are isolated. And by giving them these tools, they'll finally be empowered to pay lower costs. And this is going to be a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Scott, if if any of my uh, viewers or listeners uh, want to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Easiest way is uh, Scott at mrp.io, uh, Ingrid Orange, um, or uh, uh, you can reach out to our office and uh, more than happy to talk to anybody about any issue or any problem they're facing. And obviously, if it's in aesthetics uh, and you've got a barrier or an issue, we'd love to hear about it and see how we can help you. Hey, that's great. 
Well, Scott Carson, thanks for joining me on I Don't Care today. Uh, founder and CEO of Powered by MRP. Really interesting stuff. Uh, you know, something I hadn't thought a lot about, but uh, uh, we're so glad that you came on the show so that uh, that I could learn more and so that my uh, viewers and listeners could learn more as well. So we've wrapped up yet another I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. We're so happy that, you, uh, that you're able to join us. You know how. Uh, every Friday morning, we're dropped on MarketScale Radio, marketscale.com. And as I said earlier, uh, you know, subscribe to us on Spotify and iTunes. You'll get that uh, little notification that we've dropped yet another uh, cast uh, whenever you do so. So I'll end today like I always do. If you haven't subscribed to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson, why not? With that, we'll see you next week. Take care.